So one of the key things that is interesting because when I started DJ Black Women Tech, it was just very much part of our DNI initiative for recognizable agency. You know, working in the technology sector, quickly realized the lack of women representation, but also black women more specifically. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. Hey, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Flavilla Fogan, founder of GTA Black Women in Tech and Tech Brain Stock Podcast. She is also the B2B influencer at Three Colors Rule. And we will be talking about having a solid B2B marketing strategy. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Flavilla, how are you doing? I'm really so happy with all the great accomplishments. It seems like you are a train without brakes, which is good. Yes, it's true. And, you know, I have fun doing what I do, and that's super important. So, yes, so I definitely enjoy the fun that I have. And thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Could you please tell us, you know, a bit more about yourself, your background, your role, and some of the yeah. great stuff that you're doing? Yeah, in a few words, I'm a founder of Free Colors World Creative Branding and Marketing Agency. I expertise sits within inclusive marketing, inclusive branding, employee branding, and also personal branding. So we build the brands of leaders or help marketers be more inclusive in the way they define their persona so they don't miss business opportunities. And also one of the biggest issues for most employers is also diversity, talent attraction. So this is one of our skills and we're really good at it. Obviously behind that was the birth of GTA Black Women in Tech, a non organization focusing on supporting Black women, but also helping technology companies increase the talent attraction of Black women. And this is doing really well. And yes, like you as well, I run a podcast, which is a lot of fun and having conversation with tech leaders. But I can talk about all the titles I have, but I'm going to limit to three for today. So why is this conversation going to be longer than it's supposed to be? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would like to dive deep a bit about what you do with Black women in tech. How have you seen that so far in terms of the momentum? Have you been seeing a lot of very passionate entrepreneurs, for example, or professionals? And what are the most common fields in tech that you think they have access to? So, yes, so one of the key things that is interesting because when I started DJ Black Women Tech, it was just very much part of our DNI initiative for recognizable agency. You know, working in the technology sector quickly realized the lack of women representation, but also black women more specifically. And I chose something that really represented me and being a marketer that I am, launch just as a selfish act of wanting to be around other black women. And one thing led to another. I never thought that it would be so many companies with top 50, 100 interested now in working with us and aligning their brand with ours, which is amazing. But yes, yeah, so the group has been pretty phenomenal. We started in London and for the blessing in disguise of COVID, we then sailed all the way to the UK and then we opened our first chapter in Ireland and we also opened in France this year. 
So we want to be the largest established network of black community in Europe. And the next destination is Germany. Yeah, so in the interest for diversity and, and the talent pool is there. And hence why, you know, we are highly demanded and doing really well. And I guess we do things very differently. What people don't know is behind this nonprofit, there's a creative marketing agency who engine it. Therefore, we are doing things in a way that is creative and we never spend a penny on advertising, which is beautiful because our audience has been such an advocate. This is what I try to explain to people. If you have a very engaged and loving audience and love what you do, they're more likely to recommend you. And this is what happened to us. And the rest is just beautiful history. Beautiful history indeed. Now let's get into the topic. And again, talking about having a solid B2B marketing strategy. I've met a lot of great marketers like yourself. And one of the greater things or the most important points that they mention is having as much marketing strategy as possible within an initiative before execution. In fact, I know a specific individual who says 75% strategy and 25% execution. But in general, from a conceptual perspective, is that something you think you agree with? And if so, why? I think the best way to think about it is that when you think about marketing, who do you see? Do you see money? Do you see companies? Or do you see people? And I always tell people that by the time somebody decides to come to you, they've already done their research. When you want to buy something, you spend a bit of time doing all research. It's so funny because my partner will be spending about three weeks researching on the product where me, I think I just spend 20 minutes, I'd take a look and I buy it. He's a different person. And, I, and everybody has their own time lap when it comes to making a purchase, which is very interesting. But I think it's part of being marketing is understanding the journey of your customer. This is where the strategy is important. So if somebody decides that they want to change the color of their hair, they probably have questions they're asking themselves, which is, if I change the color of my hair, how do I keep my hair hydrated? How much value, part of that strategy, how much value are you providing before people are even buying the product? And the value-based marketing approach is always a growing approach. So if you focus on value marketing instead of just product campaign, then you're not going to get the same traction. But naturally, and, and I love the thing was, I can't remember who said that, say, if you look at how social media was done really, really well, most people, the people who work, the growing audience focus. 80% of their time on providing value and 20% of their time on selling. If you just sell, people don't pay attention. You focus on providing great value and using great examples of your work, integrated through your content, then the magic is there. So how well do you understand the journey of a CEO? How well do you understand the journey of a CMO and CEO? If you just use the same template content for everybody, then that's why things fail. Yeah, interesting. And if you're listening now, and you've listened to some of our other podcasts, you will realize the concept of the product market fit. And I think that's what Flavilla is saying here with regards to what is the decision-making process for your customer segment. Once you're able to figure that out, you also need to know what is the job to be done. Again, job to be done, a term coined from Harvard, which is basically just a technical term for saying what are the customer needs, which is where Flavilla brought out the example of I change my hair, how do I keep it hydrated? Do you have value that addresses that job to be done? So this is how you see, again, no pun intended, where you need to connect the dots on some of these things. And I'm really grateful for that insight. 
Moving on here, what do you think a performance or a marketing strategy proposal should have? What are the most important ingredients to give you context? If this ingredient is not in that strategy, then it's not a strategy. You can give us a top five or top three. Are you saying from a point of view of sending proposal or are you just saying from your point of yeah, view? Yeah, from a point of view of just, it doesn't have to be a proposal. We do time it as a proposal, but we could also just call it a marketing strategy documentation for B2B, B2C, whether you're on the agency side or you are a client in mid-sized or enterprise companies. So when you think about having a good marketing strategy, it's always about thinking, first of all, logically is really deciding what's the target you want to achieve. When you have that target, what are the metrics that you want to measure? Those key things. And then the time that you're giving yourself. If, it's, if you're launching a new campaign, it's about brand awareness. Or if you're launching a bad campaign, which is a customer acquisition, then the metrics are not the same. And it gets very like you're trying to grow your social media audience. Are you looking for customer engagement? Then again, metrics are very different. I think based on, there's not so much of the one way. It really depends of what is the end goal. And then based on that, you will, and I also people think, this is why also our company is called Free Colors Raw. It's the magic of free. You know, I'll say that everything should be done in free except the relationship. <laughs> so you think about free inbounds, free outbounds, or free inbounds, whatever free inbounds that you can create in your marketing campaign, whatever free outbounds that you can create in your marketing campaign. So free, free, so you could have six activities running to really just get you a 360 experience, a 360 reach for your target audience. Beyond marketing, and I think it's key to understand that is really utilizing the power of brand. I think people spend a lot of time building a business and then they just start into marketing, but they don't actually understand the power of building a brand. And it's very different. You can be a coffee shop, but you know, if you are Starbucks, you're a brand. So Starbucks have no problem charging twice the price because people will buy from them. And that's an element of what brand gives you safety. That if you have too many choices to make, then you go for that as a reference. So I would say that to really maximize your marketing activities, first thing first is really reinforce the power and the credibility of your brand. And when you have that, your marketing budget will be maximized more effectively and will last longer. The biggest issue right now for most marketers is that budget have been decreased and they have been asked to do as much or even more. So how are you utilizing not only your activities, but how can you also use technology outlet to support you in your performance and your delivery? Hence why as well the blessing of knowing how to use the artificial intelligence, but the right tool and so much more. So yeah, so in to sum up basically understanding what you're trying to measure and set your goals, set your deadlines effectively. When you have that, how can you with a limited budget amplify your activities by using the right technology? And still really understanding how you can personalize it doesn't feel like someone is talking to a robot. And then back of that, your brand should be the overall element that makes it easy for your marketing to work. If you don't have that, then you're just wasting a lot of money. Interesting. I think our listeners are probably used to some of the other bits, but many people, like you rightly said, do not consider branding. And I will read here again that branding is just so important. It's, we had a brief discussion offline about me trying to work on my brand and trying to set this brand that people should know or will relate with globally. And that's just how important it is, even if you don't think it's necessary because of the approach and because there are many other things involved. I think ultimately at the end of the day, brand always makes 
selling or makes marketing easier. So that's really great, great. We're about to get into a session where, you know, I'm happy to have you dive into it as much as you would like. And you already started on that, which is about value. There are three areas of value when it comes to marketing. There may be different other semantics on this, but there is the concept of creating value, first of all, delivering value and capturing value, especially in the B2B scene, but I also think it applies to B2C as well. When it comes to creating value, first of all, what do you think is the importance of a product market fit in delivering a great value proposition? We actually started that with the example of the AI and things like that, but from a conceptual perspective, could you share some of your wisdom or all of your wisdom, actually, we don't want some of them, as to what true creation of value means from a marketing strategy perspective? What people know and people don't know is that the a nonprofit organization every year produce a book called The Voices in the Shadow that tells the stories of Black women in tech across the UK and Ireland and distributes to schools for free. And now this year we're going to distribute to libraries as well, so schools and libraries for this year. So I've committed myself for 10 years, so for the next 10 years I'm going to produce a new book, new stories of Black women in tech. And I'm not short, I can literally, if I want to do 20 books, I can do it by now. So what's interesting is that, and if you look at this room, there's a story behind that. So the book itself could have been just a book, but we made it a full experience. So the theme of last year was addressing colorism and dark skin discrimination. My approach when it comes to very difficult topics, I want to always use in a positive and joyful manner. So I don't make people feel uncomfortable whether your background is very important. So what was really important about developing his brand value of building that value of the book was to tell a story, but also to take people on a journey so they can understand what it means for black women to be perceived in such a way because she has dark skin or maybe she has Afro hair and whatsoever. So as you can see in the room, you know, there's different paintings and different prints of different black women. The message I wanted to communicate was for by darkening the skin of those black women, you can still see their individuality but also their beauty and to wake people up to the reason why it's important. And that's a great way as well to just approach and do that. Alongside that came a number of values such as education on how companies can be more, can attract black female talent and also supporting black women to find a journey to making entrance into tech because as we were very specific and a lot of women were not black women were not studying technology, an interest for, oh, now I'm not the constant technology, but how can I do that? So creating those comments really help them, help as well raise the interest around the book. Because the book is by, can only create based on the support of companies. And last year, for our activities and the amplification of our audience, we were able to really just go that on TikTok, Accenture, Google, and to name so many, Deutsche Bank and so forth, what among the brands who wanted to align their brand to our brand. I think that's just why I keep talking about brand. If people don't see yourself as a brand that represents who they are, they're not going to buy from you. So really important to think in terms of how do you sit in their perception of value? If you are perceived as low value, then be it. This is why Lidl and works people well. If you are perceived as hotel chocolat, then be it. If you perceive as crudes, then you know people who are wealthy will buy crudes. Whatsoever. So that value creation 
is not an option, but a necessity that every marketer, whether they work with brands, specialists or strategic people, should be focusing on. something. you know, when we work predominantly with CMOs, so what we do, we host this breakfast, we open CMOs on the same company, have a conversation, they share insight, and at the same time, you can, it's easy to sell a really high value ticket product when you build a relationship. So I would say to part of the value creation is to understand what relationship do you have with your audience? Is it pretty much they get something and they never hear from you or they keep coming back and also recommend you? If you have that, then you have very great brand. That's a very great perspective, to be honest. And yeah, I know before now you had already spoken about trying to meet the needs of clients, but also having to create that trust through mm-hmm. branding is really what it is. Back in my early days of marketing, I read the book called Branding for Dummies the popular Willy Publishing book series on any topic. And in that book, it says that branding is your promise as a company or a business to your customers. And at the end of the day, the success or failure of any brand is basically the success or failure of your promise to your existing and potential customers or to the market, to put it in technical terms. So that's beautiful. Now, going on to delivering value, we have spoken about decision marketing funnel or decision making funnel, whether it's B2B or B2C. So I won't really spend so much time on that. But what are your thoughts when it comes to creating the right marketing content for each step of the decision making funnel of a particular audience segment? How do you typically approach targeted content? Yes, I think first thing is having the more clear you are by your niche, the easier your content will be relate, relevant to your audience. I think that's super key. If you say my products for everyone, when people say to me, my products for everyone, I said, do you have Amazon's budget? <laughs> so if you don't have it, then your product is not for everyone. Yes, you're going to have to be specific in terms of who you want to work with, which is super Even Amazon, this is specific. Well, exactly. So even Amazon has to be specific in terms of how we do it. But yes, yeah, so I think first thing is, the beauty is nowadays that you have a lot of great tools, but also if you have an audience, how much can you tap into them? I think this is one thing that I always say to companies, not always to companies, that do not operate in silo where you magically put ideas out of your brain and say, oh, are you going to like it? Test it with your audience. It's like, hey, I'm trying to put crazy content. Is this a level that you'll be interested in? Well, yes or no. What else would you be interested in? And I think people don't think enough in terms of going back to their audience and asking them, what do you want? When you have that, then you can look into your content. Something like when you ask a question on Google, it will give you the most asked questions, depending on your market. Sometimes it doesn't mean that. But it's so important to just figure, you know, something you go to a conference where you know that your audience is tend to be going, look at the question, look at the topics that they cover. Okay, so these are the topics that are interested to my CMOs and that's why we all sign up to come and attend. And it's so key to really think that like instead of just operating in a closed room with no lights and think that you're going to have a magic moment. Yeah, that's awesome. And I will say not very long ago, I came across a post by Neil Patel, the great Neil Patel. And he said, every day we have Google's algorithm being tweaked, I think nine times. So imagine the algorithm being tweaked nine times a day. And the point he was trying to make is that it's hard to chase the algorithm. If that's kind of what you're trying to do. Oh, I want to be a great SEO person, for example. So I'm going to keep checking what Google is doing every day. He said, that's impossible to do. But what's possible is asking your clients, 
asking your potential clients, what kind of content do you want that meets your needs? Like I thought that was a bit of, that was very insightful in a way. And now you reinforcing that makes me feel a little bit more confident actually about the whole concept because at the end of the day, it's people to people, it's humans to humans. And if you don't do what you can, as simple as sending an email or even having phone calls, surveys with your clients or with your customers and trying to find out what they want, what they need going forward, then you cannot really deliver the value. I mean, it's just as simple as that. And I really appreciate that perspective about that. The third stage, capturing value. When it comes to acquisition versus retention versus branding, I personally think right now everybody is so crazy about ROI. In the creator economy, for example, people look at a post that does 1 million views because it's got this kind of thumbnail and they just copy the same thing. So in the creator economy, there's an emerging problem of plagiarism. Maybe that may not really happen with products, but in marketing, it's going to become a very big issue going forward. And then AI will probably complicate that. But I digress. When it comes to acquisition versus retention versus branding, how do you think marketers can strike the balance in terms of what to focus on the most? For example, should we, speaking to your word about silos, should we just focus on acquisition and just move on to the next thing? Or should we have a three-pronged approach to say, we are building a brand, we are acquiring customers, but we are also thinking about and working out, working on keeping them. So what are your thoughts around that from your experience and what do you think is the way to go? So brand and customer retention are all intertwined. So one or the other does not work. So retention, what is really retention? Retention is, are you still relevant to your audience? Are you still doing stuff that you have a great customer service and you're providing what they're after? And this sits within retention is not just a marketing campaign, it's also how innovative you are. You think about the most leading brands out there, they spend their time on innovation. So when I always ask people, you see, you want to retain your customer, what have you done recently, different lately? It's like, oh, okay then, so how are you going to retain them if you just take them for granted? Also, you like take a relationship. If you're in a marriage for 10 years and you never take your wife on holiday, you never do something that surprise her, at some point, somebody's going to cheat. You're right, my man. I was going to say that. Someone's going to go on divorce if you don't make an effort to once in a while do something that your customers don't expect. This is what I also call, this is another model that I've developed, which is called beyond marketing. What are the things people expect from you and how can you go beyond by always surprising them? If you have a mindset, if you have a brand with innovation as part of your DNA, you know the importance of innovating to maintain customer retention. Again, I would say retention doesn't matter if you're a startup. You're where you should be focusing on, it doesn't matter. But yeah. I'm saying that your bigger focus will be more on acquisition because you are, don't have enough clients. When you have those clients, have a great customer service so you can keep them for the loop. When you're a bigger company where you have new key players who comes in, you know, you are one of the largest insurance companies and small business comes in and have a new method of things, what's your customer retention? So if you think about new bank, new investment and all these things, in the fintech space, they have disturbed the financial sector completely. And that's so important to really understand 
how when they force the traditional banks to in, to innovate because they were very happy for you make a transfer, it takes three days to come, with Monzo, boom, in an hour you have it. Wow, so we need to increase that base. So client retention, client acquisition is important. It all depends where you are right now. If you say, okay, we don't have enough business to go, then client acquisition is important and client retention should be a necessity again. Like brand and client retention is a necessity and not an option. And this is how people wonder why their customers don't buy from them again. And we were having this conversation this morning on breakfast about this brand that everybody loved, but the customer said it was so poor, not going to buy from them again, delivery was for so long. Why would you buy from them again? And you can lose a customer that you spend so much money acquired because you don't have a great onboarding system in place. This is where departments should not operate in silo. If I do my job and bring the customers, how are you looking at after them very well? That's super key. Interesting, interesting. It reminds me of a saying where someone said, the most important KPI in the marketing, 360, is engagement. Whether you are acquiring or retaining or building a brand, engagement is the main thing. And I like what you said about having that marriage between branding and retention because it takes retention activities or initiatives to build a brand. And I also remember one of your posts, you had mentioned that when launching a product, especially for not just the big companies, but even small businesses, don't just launch the product when you go to market and just say, oh, hey, hi, here's the product. Always have the community waiting for that product to come. I think you mentioned something about having an email list. So when you have something coming, have an email list, take people behind the scenes as the product is almost ready. And then when it's time to launch, then you know you have a waiting community to receive that product. I find that really interesting when it comes to branding and acquisition. And would you maybe give some more thoughts around that? So for example, after the success of DGA Black Women in Tech, which is very much about just Black Women in Tech, I decided that I wanted to launch a network that focuses on the accomplished and successful Black professionals and entrepreneurs around the world. So the new venture is called Black Rise. So say, I'm not going to spend money building a new platform until I know that it's definitely working. So my point of it, and this is what I say, even I remember I was having, giving a talk at Oxford University, and I say that you should not spend that much time building a product on your own, not knowing if someone's going to buy it. Involve your customers for the journey and really capture data, information from based on what you share with them, what are the expectations, what do they expect to be able to get from you, and so much more, which is super, super, super key. And that's important. It's not about just taking them on a journey, but it's also about showing them this is what we like to be. Are you more interested in those features? Are you more interested in those features? Launch your MVP tested with a very small number of strong founding members. I wouldn't say founding members, but people who are very interested in your product and will give you feedback. Then when you have that against something, the less you make your product accessible, the more you create desire. If you think about Clubhouse, when Clubhouse launched, you need to know somebody who was in it to be able to get in it. Obviously, even lost momentum because people have come out of COVID and want you to meet people instead of being on audio. We still have an audience. But yes, so it's important to do that. So yes, the waiting is such a thing that I see a lot of startups skip which is a shame because it's just in this rush. There's always this rush of fast, fast, yeah, well, yeah. and then go fast, but also fail fast, or you go slightly slower and gain enough time to really build momentum very, very well in excitement. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, 
now you see a reason why. Now you see a reason why. This is great information. This is great wisdom that money cannot buy. Just to put it direct to you guys. So if you haven't subscribed, I am on Amazon. I'm on Spotify and I'm on the Apple Podcast. You can also subscribe on YouTube as well. Just on any of your podcast players where you feel comfortable, you can find me there at Marketing Leadership Podcast. Flavilla, if you don't see it, create it. Does that quote sound familiar? I saw that at one of your speeches where you received an award. I know you've received so many of them. And in one of those speeches, I hear you say that quote. Where you said that what struck to me is the new frontier of podcast marketing in general. I know we've always had podcasts, but not until the last few years, three, four years, I don't think people have really thought about propagating podcast content or distributing it or promoting it. So in general, what do you think about B2B podcast marketing when it comes to the organic optimization, for example, and paid media optimization or boosting? What are your experiences with that? What have you seen people doing? And yeah, so forth. I must say, when it comes to that, I have no idea. <laughs> One thing that I would say when it comes to podcast promoting, it doesn't suggest that post. if you just post your podcast and don't do the promotion, then you're probably missing out. But I love B2B podcasts and I listen to them a lot. And with truth, I love to listen to Jack Wade. But people forget that you can also advertise within different platforms that allows this, but it has to be a bit further than that. But I don't, I, I wouldn't say detail because I'm actually doing a lot. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, basically it's just like every other content, right? You cannot just write an article and say, oh, because you're writing an article, it's going to sell itself. You have to share on social media. You have to optimize it for keywords. You have to maybe put some pay promotion if needed. You have to share that with your community, owned channels, basically. So I get what you're trying to say there in the sense of content will not run by itself. People talk about virality a lot, but... The truth is that most of the contents that are viral are made by people who did not expect it to go viral. They just want to share great content and for some, and they must have pro- promoted or shared or propagated it in some way. And then later it becomes viral because of the value of the content itself. If you're listening here, it's not just about the value of the podcast, for example, but also making sure as much as possible you share that podcast to your community, you put some budget behind it if you need to, you optimize it for SEO within the podcast platforms and so on and so forth. My goal personally, if you are listening, make sure you follow me on LinkedIn, is to see a better podcast marketing world. And I have been doing a lot of work with many partners across the world on how podcasts being the new content, oil, if we will term it that way, is something that marketers should be paying attention to with regards to, okay, do we have the right statistics to improve podcast content? Do we have the right channels to deliver validated listens in terms of paid or even the organic search ecosystem of Spotify, for example? How can people rank their podcasts higher on those platforms? Those are kind of some of the things that I have been looking at and I will continue to speak to marketing leaders like Favilla on their thoughts on this imagine industry. There's still a lot to be accomplished right now. And there's a lot going on. I think everything else is overshadowed by AI, but I also think that the world of podcast marketing is going at a fast rate and it's really coming up. YouTube recently released their YouTube podcast feature. 
that is some way of podcast marketing, they have seen some potentials in that as well. With that said, I often hear of the term one-click stand. And if you are old enough, you know what the equivalent of that means. And why this is important is because it is a problem for marketers. They want to just run the campaigns and move on. They don't want to see it through in the sense of, is this campaign building the brand? Is this campaign delivering commercial value? So if you're looking at marketers who really want to deliver sustainable growth, what are your ideas in terms of the right mindset, for example, in using marketing tactics to deliver true growth? What are the attitudes that marketers need to change when it comes to not working in silos? If you can also maybe laser focus on that silos concept. I really like it. I find that interesting. What are some of your thoughts in as to we marketers doing right when it comes to running campaigns, writing strategies, and growing businesses for you? So there's no, I don't think there's one answer. Obviously, exactly. it really depends on every, of every business. But I think what's important is, again, something I start with brand because it's really key and people really don't understand the importance of having a strong brand. When you have that brand, it makes your, all your marketing efforts so much easier. And I think we're in the area of technology. I mean, we've been in the area of technology for a very long time. There's a lot of great tools out there that can help you people do their work more effectively. Are you anything that as a great marketer, you should be going to events, marketing events, and learn about new things that you can improve back in tools that are created by great companies out there to help you understand your data, deliver your content more effectively. We're spending hours doing some editing on your content. Is it? AI is always the word on everyone's mouth. But if it used the right way of the right element, it will never replace someone's creativity. It's just a, an amplifier helper for performance delivery. That's what it is. But I would say that if you really want to step up your game, if you were like a one-man band for a company, technology is there to help you. But yeah, and do that well. This is a key. Makes sense. And I would like to stay on the topic of tools and tactics and stuff like that. When it comes to brand strategy in itself or brand research, what are some of the cost-effective ways you think marketers can research about their brand, about their market, and about their competitors? A very good example is the mind map, right? You got a cross, and then you have four quadrants where you place logos of brands and competitors. Very mm-hmm. basic, but I personally still use it today. So what are some of the other tools like that? And maybe if you know of softwares like, say, SimilarWeb that does competitive intelligence, from a technical perspective, what are some of the tools that can help us in conducting a very solid brand strategy research? There's so many good ones. first one is obviously Google, Google Analytics. You have SEMrush, which is also really well. You have something that's come on my mind. Again, something, you know, I'm not directly doing all this research, so my team will probably know better than I do. But yes, yeah, so do understand your industry. And I think that you shouldn't even start any marketing value understanding who your customers are. I think that's super key. And so all your competitors are, that's super key. Identify them, you search. And again, something from the, your sales team, if they say no, and you say, I'm working somebody else, you need to know who they are. All the information doesn't need to be collected just by marketers. And this is why it's so important for sales and marketing to work together where you can feed information in terms of what customer is saying 
And the reason why the customer is saying the prospect is saying no, that's the key. But yes, so when it comes to these other tools, a bit more complex depending on the size of the business because it can be quite pricey. But if you don't have that budget, the mm. starting point your website should have the right tools integration to be able to monitor. You have heat map, which are there as well for you to help you to figure out what we're going to your website or if we're really searching. I mean, it's such a great avenue for different budget, but I would say start first by really understanding your market, your competitors. When you have that, look back into your own data, conduct online and offline reviews and ask for information. You'd be surprised how much people are to tell you. And then from that, keep on building it. It doesn't have to be super complicated, but it's a great way to start it. Yeah, I think, you know, if you're listening here, that is the right way to go. Working on your data, working with sales, which many people don't want to do, but you have to do it if you really want to grow a company under a shared brand vision, right? So it's important for you to be able to find out more from resources around you and no one will be hesitant to do that, really. Looking at your internal data, looking at performance of your products, working with other departments, as including service as well, because they will also play a big part in retention. And the reason is just because tools these days are very expensive. Like Talkwork, if you are working with Talkworker, for example, that does brand mentions, very expensive. On the PR side, there's Coverbook, extremely expensive, and so on and so forth. There are just these many tools that unfortunately are so expensive that the barrier to entry is very high. But not to say there are not cheaper tools out there, but start with the concept, first of all. Start with the basic stuff around competitor analysis, SWOT analysis, decision-making processes. Work on your four or five P's of marketing and try to get as much information in your environment around that so that there is that organic spread and you can really grow and retain the way you would like. Sticking on the technical side of things, have you had experiences where you see marketers not reporting campaigns the way they should? And here's what I'm saying. People a lot of times focus on the wrong KPIs because these KPIs are very convenient. Then the second thing is that when it's time to report those KPIs, they report it in a way that doesn't give the right visibility to leadership. So what's your advice to marketers who need to summon courage, basically, and do marketing right. Even if there are challenges, which I mentioned before and in this episode, to say, oh, there are challenges, but this is the plan to move things forward. And you can communicate that with leadership as much as possible. You know, a lot of people are scared of marketing budgets. Are they going to cut my budgets because I'm reporting this bad KPI? But I also think there is a process of making leadership understand the projection of your brand campaigns or your brand strategy and giving as much transparent insights as possible. So what's your advice to marketers listening here that need to really report on their campaigns in a transparent and valuable manner? Okay. So let's put it this way. Like, for example, if I said to you, like, okay, I'm going to finish this podcast and I'm going to be home for dinner. And I'm saying that to you, what is missing in this? And, you know, you and my husband and say to you, I'm finishing my practice and I'm going to be home for dinner. What is your next quote? What time? Well, I, it's going to, yeah, what time? Because I was going to say that it's early, right? So it's, it's, uh, 
depending yes, on the time exactly. zone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you want to be able to manage people's expectation, which is super key. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. I think it's sometimes people get it wrong, say you look at the KPIs and see it as it's felt too soon. If you engage a salesperson, give them at least three to six months before able to see some traction. And you have to be comfortable with the fact that they're not going to bring business on the first month. Some of them are brilliant, but most of them might not be able to bring business on the first month. What exactly are you looking at? I think it's super key. So I think it's the best way to manage your expectations from the leaders is to give them good timeline in terms of this is what it's going to look like for the first three months. It's not relevant. We should really evaluate a little bit later. And so they don't have to worry about it and so forth. So something if you pay attention to the wrong KPIs, such as vanity KPIs, number of likes, doesn't pay the bills really. So yeah. you don't know it's more in terms of the number of engagement and so much more. Absolutely. I don't think I've seen somebody say it in this way. Time. Use time as a means to manage expectations because time allows you to perform as many tests as possible to try to drive progress and get to your desired goal. It's been awesome with you, Flavio. Yeah. Like, I really am very happy and delighted with all the things, uh, the great things that you have shared. And you did not disappoint is what I'm trying to say here. So where can our marketers find you if they need help with growing their tech startups or scale-ups and trying to establish great brands? Very easy. They can Google ad company, Free Colors Wool, or search for my name. And easy to be found. There's only one Flavina. So yes, you can find me. I spend a lot of time on spend a lot of time. I'm very active on LinkedIn. This is my favorite platform for business. So yes, mm-hmm. so it's a good place to get started. And yes, and figure out. And what is great as well, I've just released my marketing course, my branded marketing course on LinkedIn. So book and do it. Some of these courses only 30 minutes. So it's very quick. And you get to learn the A to Z to really successfully launching a brand and also growing it. Absolutely. Please, again, get that course on LinkedIn Learning. It's just the price of your coffee cup, like they usually say, right? Get that course if you're trying to get started or even trying to improve your existing knowledge in creating great branding strategies. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. See more episodes at dotslovesmarketing.com and subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple and Spotify. Till next episode, connect the dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.